Great. Well, our guest today is Kelly Speaks Backman, the CEO with the Energy Storage Association, uh, ESA, of course, which is the National Trade Association for Storage Issues in the U.S. Uh, Kelly, welcome to the show. Hey, Adam. Nice to see you. Thank you so much for coming on. Really honored to have you. Um, I want to, we're excited to kind of dive into some technical issues and some policy issues with you. Uh, before we dive in the deep end, can you start by just telling us about yourself and how long you've been in the sure. energy industry and in working on storage issues? Oh my gosh, if I tell you how long I've been in the energy industry, I will uh, definitely date myself. Um, I have been involved in clean energy issues since, we'll just say the 90s. Um, <laughs> just stick to that decade. Um, I started out, actually it's a funny story, I started out um as an HVAC plumbing design engineer, having wow. gotten my mechanical engineering uh, uh, from Boston University. And um, I went straight into the HVAC plumbing design. Some of my projects I really liked, some not so much. I did an ice storage project for a commercial industrial um, office building, and that was really cool. And at the same time, one of the partners said, you know, if you keep this up, in 10 years, you could become partner. And I was like, I quit. I can't do this another day. And around the same time, my um, girlfriend, who was an electrical engineer, um, was working for Wellesley College. And um, they had bought these combined heat and power engines from a company called Yenbacher, which was this tiny little Austrian company with no U.S. presence. And Wellesley said that they would buy the engines only if there was a US presence of this Austrian company. So she called me up and she said, hey, you wanna like start up this Austrian engine sales distributorship in the United States? And I was like, yeah. And that was where I started on clean energy. And I've been in it ever since. I've been around CHP, landfill gas to energy projects, wastewater treatment plant, um, solar. I was one of the first 50 uh, employees of Sun Edison. Wow. Um, Fuel, United Technologies fuel cells. Um, so I've been kind of in and around both private industry and public service and now advocacy of clean energy for, again, we're going to just leave it like the 20-ish, <laughs> 25 years or so. Very, very cool. Um, well, let's see. With that, I want to, we're going to talk more just about ESA in general at the end, but uh, if it's okay with you, okay. I want to dive right into the deep end on some hot button policy issues that have uh, been getting a lot of coverage recently. Um, yeah. let's, start, let's start with uh, FERC Order 841, which yeah. uh, I know ESA worked on a lot. Maybe I'll just leave this open-ended. Can you kind of tell us at a high level what FERC Order 841 is and uh, all of ESA's work on this to date? Sure. Um, I mean, this is this is the you know the crux of everything that we do in FERC eight in FERC eight forty one. You know, um, energy storage as a resource is different than anything anybody's seen on the grid today, right? Um, it is. It can be a generation asset. It can be a transmission asset. It can be a distribution asset, and it can be that all in one piece of equipment, right? So it's it needs. We, we say that it's an enabling technology, but it's very disruptive to the regulatory framework. And FERC 841, which was unanimously voted for across the party lines um, within FERC um, in February 2018. And what FERC 841 basically says is that for the uh, RTOs and ISOs, 
you must find a market mechanism to uh, to um, compensate energy storage for all the values it brings, right? And not just energy storage, but any flexible resource. So FERC 841, which um, goes into something that happened last week, um, was meant to apply originally to uh, the, uh, or I should say the work that was being done for FERC 841 was done originally for both the transmission level and the distribution level. But in FERC 841, they did bifurcate uh, the distribution side of that work. Interesting. Now, uh, I think a lot of the questions we're starting to get from our audience, which is mostly developers, is, you know, reading the headlines and getting really excited about this and now starting to think about implementation by the RSOs and ISOs and RTOs around the country. Um, yeah. What is ESA's kind of thinking and outlook for rough timelines for uh, implementation? Yeah. So um, it was February 2018 that the order first came out. They gave them about 270 days to submit their first plans. And so each and every single one of them um, submitted a plan for how they would incorporate energy storage into their regulatory frameworks. Um, so that was by December 2018, those plans were submitted. There were quite some issues with some and not so many with others. So California ISO, which was kind of already running down that path, was pretty in pretty good shape as we analyzed their uh, filings. PJM had uh, quite an issue that we, as we saw, that they would, um, they had limited resource adequacy compensation for storage assets that were 10 hours or more. So it knocked out all of those really good resources that were already on the grid with four hour duration or even two hours and one hour durations. Um, and across the, across the path, there were just sort of varying approaches to how to deal with um, compensating storage. And so we have been working tirelessly ever since then to get through the details with each and every of the RTOs, ISOs, and um, uh, coordinating through the participating stakeholders in those processes. Very interesting. Um, and maybe this is a good segue to, you just mentioned it, last week. Um, yeah. I'm kind of excited. I've been trying to schedule you for about a month. And uh, just last week, this news broke, FERC order 2222. Um, yep. Let me try the one sentence explanation on this. Correct me if, because uh, I'm still learning this as we go here. Yeah. This one is very specific for DER aggregations, like let's say behind the meter storage, uh, to compete in energy and capacity markets uh, operated by those RTOs and ISOs. So this is really, am I correct to say, specific to aggregations? And uh, how does this fit, this FERC 2222 with 841? It addresses aggregations, but it is not very, it's not specific to, it's not exclusive okay. of only the aggregations, right? So more broadly speaking, this is the part of FERC 841 that did not move forward at the same pace as all of those other, um, uh, as, as, as the transmission side did, right? Got it. So um, uh, while plans were put forth by the RTOs and ISOs in 2018, and we've been working through those details of how that gets implemented, um, it was held back for a technical conference on the DER side. There were a number of, of other FERC actions that happened. But then also there was a um, uh, request for reconsideration and then a filing of petitioners um, in the D.C. Circuit Court that 
um, was made by organizations such as EEI, um, Edison Electric Institute, um, the uh, um, and NARUC, the National Association sure. of Regulatory Utility Commissioners, APPA, the American Power, Public Power Association, and a few others that said states should be able to opt out of any DER participation in wholesale markets. And they should be able to opt out wholesale, no pun intended, right? They should be able to say, in our state, it's not going to happen. Well, just this summer in July, I think it was July 16th, um, and I'm getting back to the 22-22 because it's very much related. So just this summer on FERC 841, the DC Circuit Court said, no, 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 states cannot on a, at a wholesale level deny uh, distributed energy resources from, or I should say energy storage from being able to participate in wholesale markets, Got right? It. So um, that was a huge win and it opened the way for the DER side of FERC 841 to be addressed by the commission, which it did just Thursday afternoon in its open meeting. And out of that came FERC 2222, which is really kind of a follow-on to 841. Got it. And I'm glad you mentioned that timeline of the July, I think that was like the appellate court upholding yes. 841. And that's when, you know, I think, again, it's been in the press. I see you quoted everywhere every single time I read an article on it. Um, got it. Now, are you, is your expectation, I mean, you have all these different parties, like when we started getting into this implementation phase, um, obviously the grid operators, utilities, you mentioned EEI, uh, state regulators, I feel like there's all of these kind of interests and parties now during the implementation stage. Are you, uh, it sounds like in some cases, like CalISO um, on 841, things are going well or okay. Are you... Um, I don't know, pessimistic or, I mean, are there concerns about implementation with some of these folks maybe putting up roadblocks or? Yeah. Um, am, am I concerned? So I, I think I'm, I might be a worry ward. I'm always concerned that process, the let regulatory process move forward on a time, timely basis. You know, we're two years, two and a half years, almost three years out from the first order coming out. And we still need to see that this is, implemented properly. For example, last week also, it was a big week in regulatory last week. Last week, um, there was a vote of um, uh, PJM constituents um, when in the specific RTO ISO of PJM okay. that actually allowed that question, that, that issue I brought up a little bit earlier about the 10 hour duration requirement for resource adequacy. Well, that was, um, it was fixed last week. There was a vote that um, basically put it on a more analytical basis of, you know, asking questions and doing analysis of how much storage is on the grid right now, what is the market penetration of, um, of resources, like how much solar and how much wind versus how much dispatchable resources, and making an analysis. And what that did, it, it opened, up, opened us up for resource adequacy, being able to serve, even if it's four hours, all the way up to 10 hours, in terms of that particular product. So there's tons and tons of stuff going on. And so because there's so many parts, because there are so many um, stakeholders in the process, and because there's five RTOs and ISOs, there's a lot of work to be done. So I'm worried that we keep the process going, but I'm not worried at all about, you know, the RTOs and ISOs making the 270 day uh, requirement because they've known this is coming for a while. They've been working through it. Some of them have already made some filings 
a lot like in uh, New York ISO. Um, so some of them have already begun that process. I have no doubt that that next step will be met. It's just keeping the train moving. And then also supplementing with legislative work, both at the state and the federal level, to kind of help keep the market moving while we work through these regulatory processes that can take so long. Got it. Interesting. Uh, maybe that's a good segue because the next one, kind of a separate topic altogether, is more legislative uh, in nature. And that's the, of course, the energy storage tax credit. Yeah. Um, which actually, last time I saw you in person, you were speaking at that KNO Gates conference about a year ago on this issue. And I know you guys took a good run at that last year. There was a potential opening for that. Can you give us just an update on um, the outlook for the potential of getting a, an energy storage standalone tax credit legislation yeah. done in the future? So, so close last year. We were so, so close. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I mean, literally like an 11th hour uh, change. Wow. In, yeah. Um, what does the outlook like look like now at the federal legislative perspective? You can only imagine, right? I, I mean, I don't have yeah. a lot of hopes, frankly, that in this session we're going to get something done. Um, the good news on that, though, is we still um, continue to enjoy uh, bipartisan support in on both sides of Congress, uh, both the House and the Senate. Um, we have, um, you know, all we're asking for is equality in the tax treatment for energy storage resources. The same thing that solar enjoys, the same thing that CHP, geothermal, fuel cells, all of these different technologies that are helping to clean our energy system. Uh, we're just asking for a, a, a level playing field. And so we have a lot of support, but unfortunately right now we don't have a lot of actions that are related to energy policy at all. Any of the energy policies that are so important to move our, um, move our cause forward. So I'm not optimistic that things will move before elections, but I am holding out hope that in a lame duck session, it will, uh, it will open things up. That's what we're hearing. I can tell you also that it, it will matter less for us than for some of the other clean energy industries as to who wins the Senate and who wins the presidency huh, because we do have such bipartisan support. So once we're able to clear out the politics that are taking everyone's attention, I do have a strong... Um, I do have a strong belief that we're going to get something moving for storage. Great to hear your optimism on that. Uh, very interesting. Um, maybe that's just a segue to talk a little bit more about ESA's work in general. So there's a lot of examples right there of uh, on the regulatory side uh, and also on the legislative slide when an opening presents itself. Um, can you talk just in general about all the different sorts of work? I know you guys... Um, you know, accelerating market growth, educating stakeholders, all sorts yeah. of policy work, um, just a high level, all the stuff ESA is doing. Yeah, so um, I really appreciate that question. So internally, just at ESA, we call it the ACE model. We accelerate markets, we connect our members with each other, and we educate stakeholders. So on the accelerating markets, that's the policy piece with uh, that we do. This is, um, you know, both legislative and regulatory. It's at the state federal and RTO level. 
Um, we are opening up markets and removing barriers. The regulatory part is really kind of the barriers and removing those barriers. Got it. Barriers to value storage, barriers to allowing competition of storage in like just even the simple act of including it in an IRP and in uh, long-term planning. Um, and and the, the third part of that is um, access to uh, access to the markets through um, being able to have interconnection rules that are different because technology is different with storage than it is with another generation source. Um, so that's sort of the, the policy or accelerating market side. On the connecting our members, we do a lot in terms of in terms of the annual conference that we just put on that had 25 more than 2,500 attendees um, over the course of four days in a, in a virtual format. Um, we create networking opportunities um, for our members to get together and talk about either specific issues or just get together for a little bit of fun. Um, and the third and the third part of this is educating stakeholders and that is educating you know state regulators about the importance of energy storage and keeping costs controlled and down for um, for consumers. Um, we do other connecting um, uh, uh, activities where, for example, we have a communications council of members and a speakers bureau where we have our members that we can present to the press or to other industry association meetings or, or things like that. So we connect our members with each other and with the public. So um, there's the educating stakeholders on that side, but we have also consider our members themselves as stakeholders. So for that, we have various training, um, webinars, keeping people up to speed. Um, we have, um, uh, uh, subscription services that are for which our members get really deep discounts like the Wood McKenzie report that gives you the report of what's being installed where and when and why and um, this the storage IQ report that gives a really deep dive update into regulatory uh, frameworks at the wholesale market level so RTOs and ISOs in the in the region so um, we do we do a lot of that and at the same time um, we work with you know, we work with, uh, since we're located here in DC, we work with federal legislators to help them understand and then also take action. That if, for example, their interest is in a zero carbon world, that they're gonna need storage to provide that reliability and resilience, to provide the efficiency of the grid, to help build out sustainability and to keep it affordable for, for consumers. A lot of work to be sure. Yeah. It's not um, boring. I guess so. Um, and I want to give you some feedback on the ESA conference last month, uh, Energy Toolbase. We virtually exhibited at that event. Um, we do a lot of conferences. We're very much learning the whole virtual conference format because, you know, that's new to us. Like it's probably new to you. Uh, and I just wanted to let you know, we've done three of these so far. Uh, and after talking with our team, because we do a debrief after each of these, um, by far uh, the ESA event last month was our our best and most fruitful uh, virtual event so far. Lots of um, very good conversations with just, you know, top people that we want to, uh, you know, be having conversations with. So I wanted to say thank you for that. Oh, Adam, I'm so happy to hear that. I really, really appreciate that feedback. We're all learning this together and uh, um, an experience I didn't know that I'd be having in my life, yeah. but we're, we're learning. Absolutely. Uh, I think this is a, be a perfect one to close on. At the event last month, you guys made an announcement, and this was kind of your headline announcement, I think, coming out of the event, um, ESA's 
100 by 30 vision. So this is 100 gigawatts of storage capacity in the country by 2030, which was a huge upgrade, I think, from your previous projections. Can you just talk a little bit about that plan? Um, yeah. It's 100. We expect to see 100 gigawatts of new energy storage over this next decade out to 2030. Um, that includes about 16 gigawatts of uh, pumped hydro storage. So I should just mention to um, your listeners here that, um, you know, ESA and energy storage as we see it is really a broad concept of simply disconnecting from when you generate and storage, electrochemical storage, like the batteries we all think of, pumped hydro, all of that. So we're looking at 100 gigawatts of new storage on the grid by 2030. And that came from an analysis we did of where we saw the renewable sector going. Um, they're looking for a majority renewables by 2030. Um, and if under that scenario, um, we looked at other existing studies and we looked at where we were in terms of our progress of when we put out our 35 gigawatts by 2025 um, storage, we looked at sort of, we knew we could do this if we had certain policies in place. Well, these policies are falling in place, um, both on the regulatory front with FERC 841, sure. uh, state uh, targets are being set, set seven, I think we have, um, more than 10 gigawatts of targets by 2030 timeframe. Um, there are a number of things that have happened that are propelling us along. And then we looked at other industry studies from across the spectrum. And it's right in there in that 85 gigawatts of sort of mechanical and thermal and electrochemical storage. And then the National Hydro Association put out their own that said 16. And we thought, wow, that's a pretty cool number. And, and there are some new things that also have to happen. We have to continue to work on making sure interconnection standards are right. There's sure. a number of regulatory things, but also we need things like equal tax treatment, like we here, here. before um, in of an ITC. So still a lot of work ahead of us, but we are well on our way to uh, having this be the storage plus decade. It sounds like you have a, uh, a ton of work and, and job security ahead of you for the next decade. <laughs> that is a... An enormous amount of work. And um, Kelly, I really wanted to thank you so much for being a, a guest. And uh, just thank you. I think uh, on behalf of the industry, we are very lucky to have you at the helm and ESA doing all this really important work. Uh, so thanks for your leadership. And thanks again very much for coming on the show. Adam, you're too kind. It's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it.